This week's episode of Inside Outside Innovation is sponsored by Glider. Glider is software that helps your product team put discovery at the center of your road mapping process, helping you remove risk and drive value. Check it out at Glider, G-L-I-D-R dot I-O slash I-O podcast. Inside Outside Innovation is the podcast that brings you the best and the brightest in the world of startups and innovation. I'm your host, Brian Ardinger, founder of InsideOutside.io, a provider of research, events, and consulting services that help innovators and entrepreneurs build better products, launch new ideas, and compete in a world of change and disruption. Each week, we'll give you a front row seat to the latest thinking, tools, tactics, and trends in collaborative innovation. Let's get started. Welcome to another episode of Inside Outside Innovation. I'm your host, Brian Ardinger, and as always, we have another amazing guest. Uh, today with us is Ralph Wellborn. He is the author of a new book called Topple, The End of Firm-Based Strategy and the Rise of New Models for Explosive Growth. That's a mouthful, but I think important topic for our audience today. So welcome to the show, Ralph. Oh, thanks. Well, Ralph, I think it hits squarely with a lot of the things that our audience is really struggling with is the fact that the world of work and the world of business models, and that has changed significantly. And a lot of people are struggling with what does this mean for our jobs, for our future, for our companies? Mm -hmm. So let's dive in. Tell me a little bit about kind of your background, how you got involved in innovation and why you decided to write a book about this new disruptive world that we're living in. I'm currently the CEO of a company called Cap Impact, and we do predictive analytics about emerging business models. Uh, and prior to that, I ran strategy and transformation for IBM in the Middle East and Africa. So I've actually had the privilege of working around the world with big companies, with small companies, with startups, with all sorts of folks. And interestingly, there's something extraordinarily common to a lot of them. And what's common is a, is a character from one of my favorite books of all time, which is Alice in Wonderland. And there's a character in there, the Red Queen. Do you remember her, Brian? Yes. So she's the character who runs faster and faster, but stays in the same place. And I've, I've actually found her incredibly apt, an apt metaphor for many, many businesses. Because what I see is that we get seduced by the new shiny object whether right. it's innovation or transformation or IoT or nano or whatever it happens to be. And the question that I always struggle with is, well, wait a minute. If everyone's chasing after the same new shiny object in similar ways, then what's really going to be different? Where are you going to be different in a couple of years compared to others, other than having spent an awful lot of money and a lot of resources to end up, again, in a similar situation? And there's got to be a different way. I've always been interested in terms of what are those next business models and the, the next technology and, and how do we harvest them? And I was absolutely dumbfounded by how many, how many people run the Red Queen race. And no matter where I am around the world, people, as soon as I say the Red Queen, they go, yeah, it kind of sounds like us. So you don't have to just listen to me telling the words. You can look at data around this as well. And a couple of pieces of data I find incredibly fascinating. Number one, the topple rate, so the rate at which companies change their competitive position or fall from where they currently are, is accelerating. Yes. Over 75% of the firms that were on the S&P 500 20 years ago aren't on there anymore. And so you just look in this data, that's 4 to 5% a year. Companies are just falling off, and you can see that. And so digital transformation is supposed to be that, that magic sauce of, oh, yeah, you know, this is going to help me figure out what I do differently. So help me figure out where I, where I focus. Problem is, we all know that more than 75% of digital transformation efforts are failing. And innovation programs are struggling to get going. They're running the Red Queen race. And so I was absolutely compelled 
to write this book because I said, there's got to be other ways. So I started looking at, well, who are the new explosive growth companies in the world? Is there something common to them? And what are the pragmatic lessons that we can learn from them? Well, I, I think it's so important, too, because I think we, we are changing the dynamics a little bit. But, you know, this idea of doing more of the same, only better, faster, cheaper, that kind of, like you said, the Red Queen, makes it really difficult to capture new value when yes. you've built an organization that's optimized for the old business models. So right. what are some of the things that you're seeing out there or maybe some of the companies that you're seeing that both good and bad examples that are attacking this in different ways? Let me suggest one very, very specific lesson that, we've, that we're learning from these explosive growth companies, and then I'll give examples. The, the one of the lessons is that for every organization that exists today, approximately 20% of their capabilities, by which I mean skill sets and technology assets, around 20% of the capabilities have always driven approximately 70% of the value or the economic profit that they realize. But what's interesting is that the world changes, right? Technologies advance, market shift, customer expectations change. So of course the world shifts. So that's why, as you just mentioned, businesses are often optimized for a world that doesn't exist anymore. The 20% that made them successful to date will not be the new 20% that they need tomorrow. And yet it's really hard, number one, to make that migration. But number two, the idea of, of saying, huh, what is my new 20%? which is really fascinating because number one, people often don't think about it that way. But number mm -hmm. two, if, if you do, then you recognize that these big old massive programs you have to do may not be what you really have to focus on. You don't have to focus on a lot of things in order to make a big difference is my point there. So let me give an example. I was working with a large regional insurance company here in the States. We were talking about this concept of the new 20% and, and all of a sudden it, it sunk in. And he popped out of his seat, started walking really excitedly around the room and said, hey, I get it. He said, if you think about an insurance company, mm -hmm. the core asset, our core 20% has always been how we price risk, right? It's our risk yeah, book. Yeah. And he asked the question, what happens in a world where the value that we deliver is not about pricing risk, but it's about preventing accidents? Hmm. Is because he said, look, the, the capabilities we need, the analytics, the processes, the skill sets, the technology, who we engage with about pricing risk is really different about, about preventing accidents. For the preventing accident stuff, I actually need real-time telemetry data. I need driving records. I need IoT sensors on stoplights. I are access to that data. I need a whole bunch of other capabilities that I don't have today. And, and that mindset of the shift of what is that new 20% that's critical Number one, it's not big, right? It's very focused. It has big mm -hmm. impacts. Number two, it starts to provide a direction for where and how to focus not only your execution, but your innovation program. Because right. all of a sudden now your innovation program can be focused on something that really moves the needle. Are, are you seeing it where a company has to, because it's, it's not part of their core, that, that new 20%, they have to go outside to acquire that or build those capabilities? Or is something that can be shifted within an existing organization to kind of create that new 20% capability? The premise of the book is that we don't have to be, we should not be looking at firm-based strategies anymore. What, as I talk about in the book, and what I passionately believe is that companies will increasingly define their business model, not by how they play against traditional industry peers or what they do today, but by how effective they are of engaging with the emerging ecosystem. Specifically to your question, what that means is, 
business ecosystem, from my perspective, is the orchestration of capabilities from different partners to capture the new value. That's very different. That really is. What is your 20%? What is the new 20% of somebody else? And then what is that relationship of how you guys actually work together in order to capture that new value? Because you can't do it all yourself. It's not possible. And, and frankly, there's no reason to. If you just, for, for folks out there who are your listeners who, who love looking at the economics of this, then the, as digitization reduces transaction costs, and the marginal cost of acquiring customers goes to near zero, it just makes simple economic sense for companies to figure out how they contract out more activities with huge implications of what you do and what others do. And then the game becomes, how do you orchestrate those capabilities from different providers? So again, make it, let's make it really tangible. Uber defined a particular point of friction they were going to go after. I'm going to make it easier for you to get a car. So that's the problem that they were going to go tackle. The capabilities that they needed to do so were going to be, hey, I needed to know where you were. I needed to know what cars I could get to you, our motor transportation gets you quickly, and I need to be able to pay for this really quickly. Those weren't capabilities that Uber had. Right. And right. the old way, right. the old way if, if you were taking a firm-based approach, you'd say, okay, we need to buy cars, we need to buy a plane. That's exactly right. And the point is this, the 20% of the new 20% for Uber was finding those partners and then orchestrating those different capabilities and service of that. Mm -hmm. That is the difference. So that is the essence of an ecosystem model, orchestrating capabilities from others. Well, I think in the, in the market itself, you're just, you're just seeing this blurring of products and services and experiences yes, yeah, yeah. In, into different areas. And, you know, existing firms are trying to kind of figure out how do they play in that new world. And, you know, it seems to be that the more customer focused a company can be, and remove the friction from those experiences it seems to be that's the way you're going to capture the most value moving forward. Given customer centricity, focus on the customer is clearly key. However, I personally believe that an awful lot of people are doing customer centricity in a red queen race manner and in a way, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, in a way that just isn't working. And so the traditional approach, I believe, to customer centricity has been, hey, I've got a customer. How do I deliver more of my existing products and services yes. to them? How can I take the so-called, you know, the magic moments or whatever we call them, the friction points out of how they interact with me? That's goofy from my point of view because customers, frankly, don't care about the products and services you deliver. They don't care about, for example, a checking account or a savings account or something. They care about what those products allow them to do. Right. And so I think we have to turn our whole lens around on this instead of looking, how can I, and that's what, that's another lesson we're learning from these new business models, which it's not, what are the products and services you can, you can make easier for your customer use? It's what's the fundamental point of friction or problem that they're dealing with. And then, and think, uh, number one, figure out what that is. Number two, figure out what are the, all the sets of capabilities that they need to do to solve that problem and then figure out what of your existing products and services fit into mm -hmm. that environment? And then what are the new ones you need, which then it becomes really pragmatic. Do I invest in those? Do I create them? Or do I partner for them? Right. Yeah, I think too many corporations kind of kind of get into the mindset of that they have these legacy customers. And so if they think that they're okay because they can go out and talk to these customers and that, but they don't necessarily take it from the problem-based approach that you're talking about and you know, understanding yeah. that what their uh, current customers need, but what do they want in the future or what kind of problems are, are they solving that may or may not have to do with the firm at all? Correct. Hey, listeners. I wanted to stop this episode to let you know that this week's episode is being sponsored by Glider. 
Glider is a product discovery and validation platform. And if you've listened to the show before, you know that the hard truth is, is that most products and features launches don't live up to expectations. Now, why is that? Well, most of the time, this results in a failure of discovery rather than a failure of delivery. And that's where Glider comes in. Glider puts this discovery and validation at the center of the roadmapping process so that you can actually ship products that matter to your customers. Glider software helps your team build a better understanding of customer needs. It helps you prioritize what to build and figure out the right way to go to market. So if you want to make your product development efforts more effective, head on over to glider.io slash iopodcast and sign up for a free two-week trial. Now, to make it even better, the folks at Glider are giving IO listeners 25% off their first three months for the entire team. So head on over to glider.io slash iopodcast Enter the promo code IOPODCAST at any point before your trial expires, and that 25% off your first three months will be yours. So go give Glider a try today, and I'd like to thank Glider for supporting this show and independent media. And with that, let's get back to the show. So talk a little bit about the idea of moving to more of an ecosystem perspective and that what can companies kind of do to start dipping their toe in that? Is that, you know, partnering with startups? What are some of the ways that you've seen that it, that work that can help make that transition for corporations from a firm-based approach to more of an ecosystem approach? So I think the first step is ask the new question. And the new question is, where is value being created and destroyed and destroyed in the ecosystem and the value chains that you're engaged in? And the minute, just the very minute you ask that question, Where's I even creating the disorder in my ecosystem? It takes you logically to the question of outside of your industry boundaries. Hmm. But in terms of what is that? What is my ecosystem? Where is value being created and destroyed? What's driving that destruction? And you're not looking at it at all from an industry point of view, right? You're looking at it from big points of friction. So number one, what is that ecosystem? What does that mean? The minute and, and the minute you do that, it takes you to the second question. Number two, it's once you've gotten insight into that, you say, where am I going to plant my flag within that ecosystem? What is the what is the point of friction or what's the problem that I'm going to own within this? Mm-hmm. And I love this issue because as we all know historically and across every industry, explosive growth has always come from tackling friction, market breakdown, or non-consumption. So if you figure out what's that friction point. So Uber, again, tackled the friction of convenience and time. Amazon for AWS tackled the friction of rapid availability at any scale, any time. So that, those were the flags they planted in the ground. And then number three, that takes you logically to the question, well, how am I going to do that? Yeah. And, and that is, what are the 20% of capabilities? What are those unique set of few capabilities around which that value is going to be unlocked around planting that flag? And, and then number four is figure out then, how are you going to orchestrate your ecosystem to deliver value around that flag you you planted. So so for a firm to do that, does this have to be a, a top-down approach where the CEO kind of mandates or, or helps focus that? Or is, is there something in the middle? Uh, can the mid-managers, the, the business unit drivers and that take uh, these these ideas and concepts and actually apply it and, and, and move the needle? So the answer is it works at both. But the reality is it's got to be driven from the middle. So there are a number of CEOs and big companies and small companies are, who, who are increasingly saying, hey, we don't know what the future is going to be. Right. We need to be able to, to model it and predict it. And so this whole concept, I find this interesting. How do we build more scenario-based capabilities to make capital decisions, investment decisions, strategic decisions is, 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 is starting to be woven into 
more of the corporate fabric. So CEOs and the top executives saying, do this, and, there, and a lot of other people say, hmm, not sure how. The, the beauty, though, of the mid-management and, and other folks who are at an organization is, no, you can start this now because that's the beautiful thing about this. They know the points of friction are what potentially the new 20% happens to be. And starting to, number one, change the narrative. Start creating a new language set around what captures and drives explosive growth. What is the new strategic question? What do we mean by the new 20%? Innovation in service of what to trigger those, those new 20%. Having those discussions, building those models, having those workshops, and frankly, just starting to work on them is incredibly important around changing the narrative. Number two, then, it's starting to execute around what some of those new 20% areas are, those points of friction are that you have you want to tackle. And that's where the catalytic power happens to come from, from folks in the, the mid-level, the innovation teams, the R&D teams, the CTO, mm -hmm. the whatever else it happens to be, or even in the business line. No, it absolutely comes there because a lot of the senior guys, again, they're leading a company that's optimized for a world that no longer exists. It's really hard for them to shift their mindset of, I was born and bred in this industry. This right. is what I know. It's folks on the ground who are actually saying, hey, you want to do something different. You're really not sure what. It's not a PowerPoint exercise, by the way, right? This is actually execution exercise. So, so by creating the tangibility of what this could be, I've seen the mid-management folks be the people who actually catalyze the aha moment. I call it the Scooby-Doo moment. They're the ones who actually can catalyze a lot of this to make it tangible. Well, then how do you stop the, I guess, the antibodies of the existing organization and, and that from killing or inhibiting the new 20%? Number one, it's the data. Number two, it's the, the experiential, holy moly, if we don't do something, our margins are being nibbled away. We're, I mean, who's not talking about we have to do something different? Right. And then a lot of people are afraid to do so. That's why arming with number one, data, number two, the recognition we've got to try something so that's why i love the mid-management stuff even if it's a little pilot somewhere start changing the headset of an innovation team for example and, and don't do the multiple sprints but do the multiple sprints in service of something because here's the new 20 percent i'm going to go after and then clearly nothing succeeds like success things there's there's actually a fascinating piece of research that came out just six weeks ago which was that 12% of companies in any industry capture 85% of economic profit. Hmm. That concentration is just getting heavier and heavier, which means that the majority of companies in any industry are fighting over the 15%, the table scrap of economic profit. Yeah. So something's got to happen here, and that rate is accelerating. Well, it's great stuff. Ralph, I do appreciate you being on the show here. Pick up a copy of Topple, and if people want to find out more about you or the book, what's the best way to do that? So you can contact me, Ralph at capcapimpact.com or go to our website, capimpact.com. That's it for another episode of Inside Outside Innovation. If you want to learn more about our team, our content, our services, check out insideoutside.io or follow us on Twitter at the IO Podcast or at Gardenberg. Until next time, go out and innovate.